All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Did you make your way to, to chapter 4? Okay, well, we have been working our way through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, and you've heard me say uh, over the last few weeks as we've begun the book that it was several years earlier that Paul on a missionary journey comes to this, this country of Greece, and as he comes to Greece, he goes to a town, and the town is Corinth. Now, Corinth is going to be very different than Israel or Jerusalem, uh, where it would be monotheistic, very, you know, one God, very, very conservative. Men sat on one side of the worship service, women sat on the other side. When it comes to Corinth, it's very Greek, it's very permissive as far as a culture goes. They have a, a number of gods. Uh, the, the primary god in Corinth is the god Aphrodite, and she's the god of love and sex. And so that gives you just an idea of what the town was like. And so Paul shows up. He shows up at this town. He finds a a small synagogue, a group of Jewish people meeting, and either with the scriptures that he brought or the scriptures that he had, he begins to have a Bible study. And uh, people begin to be fascinated by that. The Lord begins to draw people. And as that takes place, the church begins to grow. Paul stays there for 18 months. The church is established. The church begins to grow. Paul wants to continue his missionary journey, so he hands the church off to another pastor, and he continues on. Well, as a few years go by, the church is going along, but people realize within the church that something's not right, something's missing. So they decide to send a delegation to go find Paul the Apostle, and they have a list of questions that they want him to answer. They want to make sure that they're getting it right. So there in your outline, we need to do this at least one more time. We won't do this every week. Paul, as this delegation shows up, he gets an update as to what's going on in the church, and then they, they hand him a list of questions. So we're going to find that for this book, Paul's purpose for writing this book will be first to answer questions from the church. And uh, he'll begin doing that in chapter 7. He'll say, now concerning the things about which you wrote. So he starts that in chapter 7. But we're also going to find, as he gets the update from what's going on in the church, we're going to find that the second reason is to address problems in the church. And you want to write that down. Paul will take the first six chapters to address problems going on within the church. Today we are, uh, and there in your outline, uh, we see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there in your outline it says, for some member, members of Chloe's household have told me about your argument. So there's lots of problems within the church. Here in chapter 4, we are still in the problems part. So Paul has heard what's going on, and he's writing to address some of the problems that are, that are taking place. As we get into this today, I, I want to say that this is going to be important for each and every one of us, whether or not ultimately you make Calvary your church home or you wind up going, going somewhere else at a certain time. There are misconceptions within this particular church, and I would say today, misconceptions about what it means to be a Christian leader and what it means to actually be a believer. And so Paul's going to deal with those misconceptions. We began this two weeks ago. And when we began, I shared a couple of statistics that just to articulate or to show how, how uh, pervasive these misconceptions are. In, in ministry, one of the statistics that I shared was that for every person who goes into ministry this year, uh, for every five that go into ministry this year, only one will be in ministry in five years. So 80% are going to drop out you know, in, within the first five years. And that the average pastor lasts in a church typically about 3.6 years before they decide to head to another church. And the reason being is that there's a misconception about what ministry, uh, what ministry really is and also what it means to just follow the Lord. So we're going to look at that today. 
So uh, again, last study, he began dealing with this misconception. We've called this Christian leadership, let the fun begin. This is part two. And uh, some, as we've been traveling through, we found that some had gotten, and I don't have a better way of saying this, but some had gotten the idea that being in ministry was like being a rock star. Like you're on stage and people are listening to you and people you know, just love what you're doing and that sort of thing. Some people got the idea that when you became a believer, God steps into your life and he begins fixing all of your problems and you live happily ever after. Now, has anybody had that experience here? Is, is, there, is there anybody, because you need to write a book and, and we'll all buy it. So, but they had this misconception what they were teaching in this church and what they were believing just wasn't the reality, wasn't the reality. And because they were holding on to these misconceptions and, and actually teaching these, it's creating all types of problems within the church in that day. And I would also suggest it creates the same problems in, in the church today. So in our last study, we began in verse 1, and Paul says, before we go any further, we have to understand this. This is what it means to, to be a Christian leader, and, and I would say this is what it means to, to be a believer. So we'll just pick up verse 1 very quickly in chapter 4. He says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants, and we had you underline last time the word servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And it was at that time that we gave the definition for that word servants. I won't try to pronounce it. It's there in your outline. But uh, I do want you to underline where it says an under rower, an under rower or subordinate. When it says an under rower, we've all seen the pictures of back in ancient times where you would have these ships and uh, down at the bottom on the bottom deck, you would have the slaves and they would be the ones who would be rowing the boat, rowing the ship. And they were the under rowers. And so Paul begins this whole discussion by, by letting the Corinthians, and especially those in leadership, understand that not only are you not the captain, but you're not even on the top deck. You, you're the one who is down at the bottom. You are rowing, and your whole life is to row to the beat of somebody else's drum. And, and he says, that's the first thing you need to know about ministry. And we talked about that. And we also talked about how when that's the case, those on the top deck don't typically come down and tell you how thankful they are for your faithful rowing down there on the bottom deck. As a matter of fact, the only time you really hear from them is when you're not rowing the way that they think that you should be rowing, and then, then you'll hear from them. So that was the first part. So Paul says, as a Christian leader, you just need to know that. You need to know that. And I think all of us as servants of Christ need to know that. So that was the starting point. And then we went through the first seven verses, and uh, he began. He was dealing with misconceptions. And today we come to verse eight, and he continues dealing with the misconceptions. And one of the things that we're going to find about Paul, and what I appreciate about Paul, is as he deals with this misconception, Paul uses sarcasm. And I appreciate that about Paul, that he's not afraid to be just sarcastic with the people that he's, that he's writing to. And uh, hopefully you appreciate it as much as, as much as I do. There's something that they are teaching in the church, and it's creating all types of problems. And uh, Paul is responding at this point to something that he's heard. I'm going to pick it up. Um, and by the way, let me just write this. Uh, go ahead and write this down. Paul, using sarcasm, Paul begins to deal with the big misconception, reminding that this isn't heaven. You want to write that down? Has anybody figured that out yet? This isn't heaven. And, uh, but apparently that, that was a real problem in, in their 
in their church. I'm going to read verse 8 from our outline. You can read it in your Bible if you want. I'm going to read from the NIV translation because it brings out a couple of things that are, that are uh, important. But you have to read this with, with kind of a sarcastic voice. That's how Paul's writing it. Paul says, so there in your outline, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings. And that without us, how I wish you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. Now, did I have a good sarcastic voice there? That's the most important thing. So here's what Paul does. Paul begins to um, mock them for their delusional thinking about what it means to be in Christian leadership and sadly, what it means to be a believer. There was a teaching in that day, and there's a teaching that, that's pervasive within the, within the church today, and uh, this church was not under severe persecution as Paul writes this. So they had this teaching, and it goes kind of like this. Now, this is a very, very short version of this. When people teach this, that you know, it's, it's much broader, so I'm just going to give you like a, a snippet. And they would say things like there in your outline, you know, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Now, before there was the curse, how did we all live? We all lived in a garden. And it was the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, it it didn't take a lot of work to get things done. And you were just blessed, blessed, blessed. You just had everything that you needed. When there was a need, there was an immediate fulfillment. And not only that, but, but as Christians... We all know that, that God is the king. Jesus is, is our king. And um, we are children of the king, which would make us princess and princes and princesses. And uh, so how do princes and princesses live? Well, they lead lives of blessing. Just blessing, blessing, blessing. Not only that, we see through the Bible, there are times when it will say things like this. Uh, for instance, in Revelation, it's going to say, and have made us, speaking about you and I, uh, kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now, let me just stop right there. That is in the future. That's a story for another day, and and that's true. But it might not be your experience today. So they were teaching in this church, and you'll hear it from time to time on TV and places like that, because we're children of the king. We are princes. We are are kings. And we are redeemed from the curse of the law, and therefore we are to walk in blessing. And uh, God wants us to be blessed. God wants to see us flourish. And and that part is true. But they said there would be something wrong if we weren't walking in that blessing because we've been redeemed from all of that. And God's called us to live a life of blessing. And we are kings and we are princes and princesses. And Paul says, so you've already attained that. How wonderful. You must be special in ministry to attain that because we're apostles And it hasn't worked out that way for us just yet. So Paul says, here's how it's working out for us as apostles. Um, Again, verse 9. I'm going to read it on the outline because um, it does bring out something. Paul says, here's how it's worked out for us as apostles. You say it's like living like kings, like, you know, rock stars and blessing, blessing, blessing. Here's how it's been for us. He says, for it seems to me, there in your outline, that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Underline that. I'm going to come back to that. Like men condemned to die in the arena. We'll talk about that. And we have been made a spectacle, underline that, to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. So you're saying it's like living like kings and and being blessed, 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 but here's how it is for us. 
When he says uh, he's made us, a, uh, we've been made a spectacle, that word there is theatron, from where we get our English word, just guess. Theater. Actually, if you read the definition, it'll just say theater right there. Just read ahead. It's right there. Everybody see it? A place from public show. We're, we're like a show to people, he says. So he says, so you think being a Christian leader is like being a rock star? Everybody loves you. Everybody adores you. And it just means blessing, blessing, blessing. He says, Here, here's our big moment in the lights. Here's what it means for us. Our big moment in the lights, he says, there in the arena is when we're fed to the lions. That's our big moment in light. So in those days, when you became a leader in the church, you knew that your days were numbered, that you were probably going to die a very horrific death. And I had you underline something that some of the translations don't bring out, but he says, at the end of the procession, and we, we would miss this in our culture because we're, we're not all that familiar with what they did, but in, in that culture, what they would do is they'd have the gladiators in the arena, and they would come out and they would fight. They would fight at times one another, and they would fight wild animals and that sort of thing. And that would be the main event. Now, after the main event, after everybody's kind of seen all the blood and gore that they want to see, if you still wanted to see more, they had a little bit after that, but it's not the main event. The main event's the gladiators. After that, what they would do is they would bring out the prisoners who were weak and they were sick, and then they'd feed them to the lions, and if you really wanted to stick around, you could watch that. Paul says there on your outline, he says, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. So here's what he's saying there. He's he's saying, um, you you think it's like rock stars. Here's how it is for us. Our big time in the lights is when they feed us to the lions. And when they feed us to the lions, we're not even the main event. We're after the main event. That's what it means for us. Um, Did you find that interesting? Yeah, it's kind of funny, but you don't want to laugh at that because it's also kind of gory, but it is interesting. So he says, you think it's popularity? You, You think it's like being like rock stars? So write this down. We as apostles are probably going to die painful deaths is what he's saying. Right now, in the Middle East, if you watch the news, and especially some of the alternative news media, you'll see that there are many people in the Middle East who are dying very painful deaths because of their faith in Jesus, and they will not renounce. And this is not to take a shot at anybody, but uh, Paul is dealing with the teaching that's going through the church. And, and, And let me just say that those who are dying those deaths, they are not living their best life now. Does that make sense? And so not that God doesn't want to see us be blessed, not that he doesn't want to bless us, but that's not Paul's experience, and it's not the experience of of people who are going through a time of persecution. Paul continues with his sarcasm, and in verse 10, you have to read it with some sarcasm, he says, so we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. So I want you to write this down. Paul says, we're living without honor from the world and even from the church. In in those days, the world didn't think very much of the church. And uh, even in the church at that point, they began to think that it was all about who was honored the most, and that was the one that God was using the most, and they had something uh, special about them. So they had these titles and, you know, it was all about being in the lights and on stage and all of that. And, and sadly, you would think that that, uh, that would go away with time. 
If, if you've been around here for any length of time, you've heard me say that there are times when I've had the opportunity to get together with other Christian leaders from, from other groups. And we'll come together, and what's amazing about us as Christians is we are very much into titles. And so you, you'll go to a group and, and uh, they'll start introducing, this is, this is Reverend so-and-so, this is Bishop so-and-so, this is Apostle so-and-so, and they have all of these titles. And uh, you've heard me say every once in a while somebody gets a doctorate, a PhD, and now all of a sudden they were Fred before, but now, now they just want you to call them doctor, you know, so-and-so, whatever. So, um, and they'll tell you, they'll say, you know, just, I'm, I have this doctorate and so I want you to call me doctor so-and-so. And uh, they'll turn to you and say, and so how, how would I address you? And I'll say, well, you know, I, don't, I don't have a doctorate's degree, but um, I do have a master's degree. So uh, here's what we'll do. I'll call you doctor, and you call me master. <laughs> now, I've, I've never actually said that, but it has crossed my mind. But it's amazing how in Christianity we're all about the title, the degree, the, you know, all of these things. And Paul says, so you're honored, you know. So anyways, there were those in the church who were questioning Paul's apostleship. We'll see this several times as we travel through. And they were saying things like, you know, we hear that Paul's going through a tough time. And, uh, you know, there's some difficulty that in, in Paul's life, and he's not really being blessed right now. And it could be that Paul's not being blessed right now in his ministry because uh, there's something going on in his life. And it could be that he's not really an apostle because if he was an apostle, then certainly he would have a whole lot more blessing in his life than what he's experiencing right now. So by the time we get to, say, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's going to say to this church, he's going to say, you know, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for, for you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And uh, so he's going to defend his apostleship. He says, so, so you're honored and we're not. And everywhere Paul goes, he'll, he'll share that, that what it typically means for him is that they would arrest him, and when they would arrest him, they would beat him. And he, he's saying, you know, I'm not really getting the honor that you guys are talking about. You know, it's not like when they're arresting me and they're about to beat me that I stop them and say, by the way, you know that I'm an apostle. And they don't respond you know, to that sort of thing, say, oh, you're an apostle. We're going to give you the apostle, so, you know, the whole apostle treatment. That doesn't really happen for Paul. So anyways, Paul says, so I'm not getting this honor that you think that it's all about. So that's what it's been for us. We're, we don't, we're not really reigning as kings right now, and uh, we're not getting a lot of honor. And then in verse 11, he says, he just goes on, he says, and to this present hour. Now, I want you to underline to this present hour. We're both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. Uh, how many of you are saying, yeah, I want that job? Yeah, it's not a job that you really want to sign up for. You know, how much does it pay? Nothing. What are the benefits? Well, you know, you'll probably be homeless. Here's what Paul's saying. You, you can't serve the Lord. You can't begin to serve the Lord if, if you think everyone's going to like you. And we dealt with that last week. You can't serve the Lord if you think everyone's going to praise you. And we talked about that. You can't serve the Lord if you think it's blessing, blessing, blessing. Because sometimes there's going to be some times of difficulty. You can't serve the Lord if you think that everyone is going to honor you. Uh, Paul says, even right now in our current situation, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're poorly clothed, and we are, we're homeless. 
And I had you underline where he says, to this present hour. Paul, as this group shows up with their letters, uh, their questions, and they give an update as to what's going on in the church, Paul is writing back to them, and as Paul is writing back to them, he's currently in need. He's, that, he's not blessed at this point. One of the things that we're going to find, sadly, about this Corinthian church is that they were into all kinds of things. They're into spiritual gifts. We'll deal with that later. They're into leadership. They're into positions. They're into teaching. They're into everything. But for them, sadly, for this particular church, it was all about them, what the church could do for them, how they could be blessed, and what they could receive. But sadly for this church, it was never about what God wanted to do, and it was never about actually participating with God in a financial way to see the ministry go forward. Uh, So much so, Paul doesn't deal with it so much in this book. This is 1 Corinthians, but by the time you come to 2 Corinthians, which is going to be the next book, when they show up in this book, they see that Paul's in need, they see his situation, and it never occurs to them, maybe we should do something about that. So in the second book that Paul writes back, 2 Corinthians, Paul's going to say this there in your outline. Paul says, and you'll notice this is 2 Corinthians, he says, you know, I, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And, and when I was present with you and I was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia and fully supplied my need, and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. One of the things that Paul models is that as a minister, you just can't go around telling everybody your needs all the time. You just can't do that. I, I, I couldn't help think about how when we started this church, Cheryl and I moved here 18 years ago, and uh, because we're a Calvary, you know, at some churches when you start a church, there's a group of people, there's funding, there's things of that nature. When you, you start a Calvary, basically what they do is they bring you in front of your last church, they bring you in front of the congregation, they pray over you, they pat you on the back, and they say, go get them. And so when we moved here, there was, you know, there was, no, there was no nothing. There was no income, there was no salary, there was nothing. And so we just started. And uh, one of the things that we found was, was that those first few years were very, very difficult for, for us as a family. It was difficult because there were always needs. There were sound equipment needs. There was children's ministry needs. There was just, you know, there was just needs that needed to be taken care of. And so it was just, you know, I think when you start anything, there's always that time of difficulty. And for us, you know, it was first few years. And I'll never forget, people would come up and they'd say things like, you know, Cheryl, look at Cheryl. She's so skinny. How does she stay so skinny? She's just so skinny. And inside I'd be wanting to go, she's not skinny. She's starving, you know, because, <laughs> because the reality in church is, is that there are some who participate with the Lord and what it is that God wants to do, and there are some who don't. There are some who don't. And over the years, God has blessed this church wonderfully. God has blessed this church wonderfully. We've been able to buy buildings. We've been able to buy property, and it's because God's people have put God first. But the church, when you think about it, what Paul is modeling here is the church is the only organization on the planet that operates completely on grace and completely on faith. I mean, when you think about it, we don't sell tickets and we don't bill anybody for any services whatsoever. So we counsel, we teach, uh, we see marriages put back together, 
We provide children's ministry. Uh, every once in a while, you'll get that 3 a.m. call. Somebody's going through a disaster. There's mortgages on building. There's electric. There's rents. There's all of those things. And, uh, and then there's the commitment that you have towards missionaries and things of that nature. And we support missionaries all around the world. And like Paul, when we'll see that Paul taught on this, we will teach on tithing, which is putting God first in your finances. And so we teach on that. Wherever you go to church, you need to put God first in your finances. If he's not first in your finances, he's really not first in your life. And so we'll tell people you need to put God first in your finances, and some people do. And some people kind of tip God, and we tell them we need to inch a little bit further. And some people do nothing. We would say to those people, you know, you can, everybody can do something. Start somewhere, but don't do nothing, no, no matter where you find yourself going to church. And then what we do is we put boxes in the back of the church and we trust God. We trust God to just do whatever it is to move on people's hearts to participate. But imagine any other organization. Imagine you were to go to Starbucks this week, and because the holiday season is here, you walk up to the counter, and you say something like, I'd like to get a peppermint mocha grande. You know, peppermint mocha, is that what they call them? Peppermint, that's what I call them. So, um, so you get a peppermint mocha, which is awesome. And, uh, and uh, so... You go up there and you order, and they hand that to you, and you say, so, so what do I pay? And they look at you and they say, oh, we, we just put boxes by the door. And uh, so, you know, as you feel led, you just, you just put, put that in there. And uh, here's what we want you to know, that we put boxes. We're not ever going to check whether you do, and we're never going to stop serving you regardless of whether you do or you don't. Would any other organization on the planet do that? Would you do that where you work? Absolutely not. The church is the only place where we do that. So in the church, and Paul was experiencing that, that some people would put God first and other people were not putting God first. And uh, here's what we've done at Calvary. We put boxes in the back and like Paul, we just trust the Lord. We talk about it when we come to it, but we don't stop the service each and every week and say, now's the time, bring the lady up, she'll sing, we'll pass the plate, and then we glare at you as the plate goes by. Really? That's all you can do? Okay. <laughs> and we trust the Lord. Here's what I can tell you. We've, we've become a, a very well-funded church as, God puts, as God's people put God first. We have been able to buy buildings and do things. And yet, don't be the person who doesn't put God first in, in, in uh, your finances. This church did not do that. And Paul's feeling the effects of that. So um, one of the things you want to write down is that sometimes Paul's saying just in ministry... He's not living like a king here, but sometimes we've had to go without. You want to write that down. Sometimes that's just what it means to serve the Lord. Now, Paul did not live his entire ministry in lack. As a matter of fact, there's a verse that we're all familiar with, but has kind of a twist to it. There on your outline, it says, um, Paul speaking, he says, I have received everything in full and have in abundance, and I am amply supplied and having received from and having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, and he says a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice. Everybody see that word sacrifice? You want to underline that? And he says and well pleasing to God. So Paul says I'm I'm blessed. You guys have you have you've taken care of it, and uh, we've been blessed. But then he goes on the next verse there, and he says and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many have ever heard of that verse? My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
Many times what we do as Christians is we take that verse and we take it out of its context. Paul has just said, I've received what you've sent. You're participating in the ministry. We realize that it's a sacrifice. It's pleasing to God. And here's how God will respond to you putting him first. He will now supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If you take that verse and you take it out of its context, as though it's not connected to the first part, and you try to use it, you might find yourself frustrated because it's a whole verse, it's a whole passage that goes together. Does that make sense? So how many of you never heard that before? How many of you have never heard that before, but you just don't want to admit you never heard that before? Okay, good, 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 good. All right. So since we are under-resourced at times, verse 12, he says, and so we toil, working with our hands. And when we are, underline this, when we are reviled, we bless. And when we're persecuted, we endure. So here's the hard part of ministry. I wish there was a better way to say this, so, so, and, uh, but we'll just go with this. Here's the hard part of ministry. You have to be nice to people in the church and in the world. Write that down. Paul says, when we're reviled, we bless. When you serve the Lord, sometimes people are going to say bad things about you. It just, just comes with the territory. And, and regardless of that, he says, you know, when we're reviled, we bless. In those days, they didn't have email. Now, we call it email. Do you know what the E stands for in email? It stands for evil. It's evil mail. <laughs> And we get them. We get them. And uh, typically what happens, <laughs> people feel the freedom. They go home and they, they get on their, you know, and they start typing. I can't believe you. How dare you? What, is it? what were you thinking when you did? And, and they just feel the freedom to just let you have it. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever just received out of a blue a snippy email from a pastor? Here's what I think of you. You did this. And we just, we just don't do that. As pastors, though, we have to, when we are reviled, we have to bless. If you step into any type of Christian leadership, that's just how it is. And, um, and, and so, um, and by the way, here, here's why I think people do this. Here's why I think. Interesting study. I've been sharing some statistics. Uh, a recent survey, now this was referenced by Pastoral Care, um, it's a, a pastoralcare.com, and uh, they cite a study of the most respected professions, the most respected professions. Pastors are at the very bottom in our country of the most respected professions. We are only one step above used car salesmen. So if you're a used car salesman, we should hang out. We've got, we've got a lot to talk about. Now, so, so here's why. Um, many people begin with the assumption that, you know, you're criminal and you're an idiot and you're, you know, all of these things. So they feel the freedom to send that out. But as Christian leaders, when you receive that, when you're reviled, you have to bless. So we respond something like, and if you've ever sent a snippy email, there's a little uh, catharsis here, but if you've ever sent a, a snippy email, you've probably got a response back from us that says something like this. Thank you for your email. And thank you for sharing your thoughts. You've given us much to think about, and we appreciate your concern, and we are sorry that we hurt you in some way or something like that. And I won't ask you to raise your hands for those of you who've got an email back like that, but <laughs> we send that back because when you're in the ministry, you can't go, idiot, send, you know. So, 
I have written a few emails that I had to delete before I hit send, but, um, but uh, there, there you have it. All right. Um, so, so we always evaluate when those things come in and we make changes when we need to, but when we revile, we bless. You just have to know that when you're in Christian leadership. Verse 13, he says, he says, and when we are slandered, we try to conciliate, underline conciliate, however your Bible says it, and we have become, now how many of your Bibles say the scum of the world, something like that, underline that, underline that the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even unto now. So when we're slandered, we conciliate. We, we, we have to try to work it out with people. Paul says, you know, in my experience in ministry and serving the Lord, it wasn't that everybody liked me or loved me, he would say, or that everybody honored me, or that everybody said nice things about me. For Paul, being in the ministry wasn't like being a rock star at all. Paul basically says, and we all underline, he says, most of the time we're treated like the scum of the world. And I had you underline that. The leaders in Corinth, the leaders in Corinth had forgotten what ministry can be like at times. There is a reason why for every five that go into ministry, only one will be in the ministry in five years because it's not what they typically think that it is. Paul here is writing to church leaders. And Paul says, this is what church Christian leadership has done for us. So you say, so what's the good part? No, that's it, the end, love Paul. That's the good part. So you say, so, so why do it? Why do you do it? Why does anybody do it? And I'm glad Paul doesn't just leave it right there because here's why we do it. Pick it up in verse 14 with your pen in hand. And he says, and you get the sense, now, now he's no longer sarcastic. And he says, now, I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Underline that. For if you have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. Underline the word fathers. For in Christ, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me. I love in verse 16, he says, be imitators of me. If you're going to go forward in the Lord, you're going to step out in leadership. You have to let go of some of the misconceptions as to what it's really like. And I love the illustration that he uses. It's such a great illustration. He talks about being a father and how they become his children in the Lord. As as a dad, I've learned more about the Lord and ministry by being a dad than all the college and you know Bible college and seminary and, and all the other stuff that I've been through. I've learned more about God, you know, but just, but just being a dad. And, and uh, if you were to look at my life 30 years ago, I would not have been voted as the guy most likely to have 12 kids. You know, it was just was not in my mindset. But I've learned some things. And one of the things that I've learned is that as a dad, and Paul says, I'm like a spiritual father to you. As a dad, you're typically at the birth, but you're not the one who gives birth. And in ministry, it's the same thing. You don't give birth, but you get to be there when people come into the Lord. I've learned that that as a dad, there's that side of me that wants to protect my kids, that wants to instruct my kids, who wants to encourage my kids. 
Dads, how many of you are like this? You can sleep through a tornado going through your house, but if there's a click on the front door at three o'clock in the morning, you're up. There's just something there. You're going to protect those babies. Just something inside. I've learned that I'm always concerned about the welfare of my children. It never turns off. I'm always concerned about the welfare of my kids. I've learned that as a dad, I, I never get time off as a dad. I'm always the dad. And, and because I'm always the dad, I've learned that they're always watching. They're always watching dad. It just comes with being part of the, being a dad. I've learned from me and the decision that we've made in our family is that because I'm a dad and we have these 12 kids, 11 at home, that there's no hobbies outside of my children. That this, this is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're doing the children. Uh, dads, tell me if you've experienced this when you have a couple of kids. There's never any extra cash. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Is there a hand? Hands, thousands of hands going up all over the auditorium here. As people say amen. How about this? As a dad, I never get extra sleep. We have 11, <laughs> yes, one hand goes up, yeah, that's me. With 11 kids, here's what I can tell you. I don't think I've had a full night's sleep in years. There's always somebody who has something going on. It's usually at the worst possible time. I'm in charge of throw up, by the way, in my family. Cheryl doesn't do that. But I've learned that as a dad, someone always has a need. You know what's interesting about somebody always having a need in my family? We've got three that are being potty trained right now, and we've got three that are teenagers, some that are about to become teenagers, and some who are still kids. And and so I've got these needs over here, and I've got these needs over here. These are trying to figure out what it means to be a young adult and how to interact here. These are trying to figure out when it's acceptable to hit somebody, not hit somebody, and, and do we use a diaper or do we just say, I'm not doing that today? And then you've got others, and, all, and so you have the whole spectrum of emotional stuff going on. And, and, and I love how Paul says, I, I become your father, because that's what it's like. That's what it's like. I've also learned that as a dad, and dads tell me if this is true, that I'm always thinking of ways to bless my kids. I love to bless my kids. You know, here at Calvary, one of the things that, that we do, we just think of ways that we can bless you guys. And so, so you know, when you come here, we just, we just do what we can to bless you. And, and so if there's a way that we can find to bless you, we just, we just do it. We just want to see you blessed. And I, and I find that for my kids, I just love blessing them. And it's, whether it's taking them here, doing this with them, giving them this, I love to see them blessed. And I think, dads, you're, you're, you're the same way with that. And, and dads, I think one of the frustrations that sometimes we have is that we'd like to be able to bless more. You know, we, but we love to bless our kids. We just love to see our kids bless. I love to see my kids develop. You know, there's that, they go from crawling and uh, they, they make that eye contact with you and they're so excited that they're crawling. And then you remember those first steps that they take? And how they're so excited and they want to look in your eyes. I'm taking the step. Dad, you're watching. And then they're riding the bikes and you're out there teaching them. And then one day they're riding the bikes without the handlebars. You know, no hands, Dad, and that whole thing. I love to see them develop. I love to see when they start to read and they start to get it. There's just something about that that God places in the heart of a dad. He loves to see that for his children. When it comes to being in Christian leadership, and you want to write this down, it all comes down to having the heart of the Father, the heart of the Father. 
Just like you have the heart for your kids, God places that in your heart in Christian leadership. And I understand when John the Apostle, when he's writing, he says this there in your outline. He says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear my children walking in the truth. You know, when, when you serve the Lord, he sees, this, he sees those people that, that God's allowed him to minister to, and they begin to serve the Lord. And when, when you serve the Lord in some capacity, there's just something about seeing that person that you're ministering to, all of a sudden the lights go on. Uh, sometimes people come to the Lord and you're there at the birth. Sometimes uh, you, you, see them, you see them start to take those steps of faith and launching out and actually trust God. You see some who come in and they couldn't care less about the Lord. And the next thing, when the lights go on, they're hungry for the things of God. You see that marriage put back together and you see that, that child that leaves high school and they go to college and they still walk with the Lord. And after college, they decide to go into the ministry as a missionary for a couple of years. Those are the things that you have when you step into, into leadership as, as a Christian leader. That's what God does in your heart. It's the same thing that you have for your children. Any person who lasts in ministry has that same heart for those that he ministers to. Does that make sense? And we're out of time. I'm going to close in prayer. Next week's teaching is much happier, by the way. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for just the, bringing us back to the reminder that this is not heaven, that heaven is in the future. And there is great blessing here, but there are also great challenges at times. And that we have to remember that some of those promises aren't fully lived out in the here and now, but are lived out in the future. And Lord, help us to minister as you've called all of us in some level of ministry to minister with the heart that comes from you that it has to do with seeing your people take those steps, loving you and becoming all that you have for them. And thank you that we get to participate and what you're doing in the lives of others. I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. Help us to walk in the things that we've learned today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.